Sure, we have 30 seconds to tell you that drivers who switch to Progressive could save big. But then what? Well, there is a nice piece of stock music playing behind me that a talented composer worked really hard on. So let's enjoy it. Wow, almost overshadows the saving big when you switch to Progressive part. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Any workout, any mood, any time. That's what the Peloton Tread is all about. From interval runs that motivate you to go the extra mile, power walks that work up a sweat, rolling hill hikes for you to enjoy, and full body boot camps to hit your goals. Plus thousands of workouts that go beyond the tread. Strength programs, core classes, yoga, Pilates, and even boxing. Everything you need on and off the Peloton Tread. Experience it all for yourself with a 30-day home trial. Learn more at OnePeloton.com. Magic. Illusions. There's a real history there. Our history. As humans that we have with magic and illusions and the awe and the inspiration related to that. Today's guest on Dr. D's social network is Jeanette Andrews, who's a professional magician and illusionist. This interview was completely surprising to me. And I didn't realize I was gonna learn so much about the human condition and art and love and philosophy in a discussion about magic. I think it's uplifting. It'll make you journey inside to learn more about yourself. So I encourage you to sit back, relax, and enjoy the conversation with Jeanette Andrews. Okay, oh, back here on the network with Jeanette Andrews, and uh, I'm very happy to have you on, and I'm fascinated by what you do, so I'm looking forward to this. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me on, Darian. Excited to be here with you. Yeah, yeah. Well, listen, uh, it's not every day you get to be on with uh, an illusionist, uh, so, <laughs> you know, you know, got to figure out what's going on here, and I want to know, how did you get into this? Yeah, yeah. So obviously, uh, not part of a field that uh, people have, you know, sort of a, you know, typical familiarity with in terms of what that path to entry might be like. So I actually got interested in magic when I was four years old, by seeing a Siegfried and Roy TV special. And I just saw it and was like, that's, that's it. That's what I'm going to do. That's it. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. So. I, that's crazy. I feel like I, well, I used to live in Las Vegas for a long time. Oh, wow. And uh, this was actually kind of on the tail end of the Siegfried and Roy era. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There. But I, I remember like how awesome that was. So it's kind of neat that you said that, that that's what inspired you. Yeah, and I was wildly fortunate uh, insofar as that I had uh, and still do have parents who are really, really supportive. And uh, and so that year for Christmas, they actually got me a magic set as, as my Christmas present and got uh, and so I worked 
constantly for the next, you know, about two months or so and did my first magic performance for my preschool class. And they had kind of the, I don't know, forethought or something uh, to photograph it um, and uh, <laughs> video recorded on, I don't know, some high eight, you know, massive massive video yeah. camera um and uh and so they so we had these images and at that point in my life i was like you know i i want two things out of this lifetime which is to be a magician and to meet siegfried and roy and so my mom helped me uh, kind of write a little chicken scratched out letter to them. And, uh, and, and my parents separately wrote them a letter explaining what this was supposed to be and, uh, and send everything off, sent them the pictures. And uh, shockingly, Roy actually wrote us back and said, you know, if you're ever in Las Vegas, you and your family can be guests at our show and, you know, we'll make sure you get a backstage tour, et cetera, et cetera. So that um, was really the beginning of about a, you know, now it's been about 25 years of me knowing them and them being in my life. So I've been really wildly lucky in that regard. That's incredible. That's well, one about like that they actually replied to you. I, <laughs> I know. I think it's, I think so often, especially in our lives now with like, you know, DMing people on Instagram yeah. or something, we're like, I don't know if these people ever see this or read this, or they have a team of 50 people who go through yeah. these messages. I don't know. Wow. That's absolutely incredible. So yeah, I was, yeah, it was funny. It's like, I was coming on to one thing I was thinking about is like, okay, like, is it like magic or is like an illusionist? Like, I don't know if like in that community yeah. of like, if magic is not the right thing to say versus an illusion, like, is there, a, is there a difference or what you prefer with that? Yeah, no, that's an awesome question. And it's really interesting one that I love to talk about with people because the, really as, as we get into kind of the language and how it's used, I personally have had an interesting journey with it because when I was a kid, you know, magic was really popular in kind of pop culture and like the, you know, mid nineties and then, um, and then kind of wasn't so popular and wasn't very cool for, uh, quite a stretch there. And so it was really not a connotation that I felt represented me. And additionally, I kind of felt like, okay, you know, there's a multitude of stereotypes that are associated when you say magician. People typically, you know, kind of, I, I think what instantly comes to mind is probably an older white male um, that is, you know, to this day, I still get people who comment on, you know, top hats and capes and, and things like that. And, and, you know, this, this dress of, you know, the 19th century. Right. And so, you know, so it's really, so I think for me, you know, I was still really heavily getting associated with a lot of those stereotypes. And I was like, eh, I don't, you know, I don't know if this really fits me. So I think I started using illusion in a lot of my own writing. Um, you know, I think in the public sphere, they're relatively, I don't want to say interchangeable because there's a lot of nuance and there's a lot, there's, there's, they're not. Um, so I want to be very upfront in saying that, but, um, but the, within 
the sphere of magicians and magic, they are quite they're they're almost more of a technical distinction like if if you said to somebody who's in magic oh that person's an illusionist we would take that to mean somebody who does like big stage magic like a david copperfield or like a siegfried and roy where it's like big boxes that people are appearing and disappearing and people are levitating like that kind of thing as opposed to you know a card magician like that's kind of the distinction that we would make in a more technical sense that's interesting. I mean, I it makes me think of like, like you say, I was thinking David Copperfield again, because mm-hmm. I lived in Vegas for a long yeah. time. And like, he's been there. And it feels like that's like a place where a lot of people in that profession are going. Or like, I, or then I see like somebody like a David Blaine, how would you mm-hmm. describe someone like him? Yeah, so David Blaine is really interesting. And you know, I, as well as many other people, kind of consider him our generation's Houdini. He, um, you know, except except a better magician. Um, (laughs) Right, right. um, You know, I I personally don't know him, but I have a lot of friends that do. And, um, you know, and he, um, you know, does really good magic um by uh by all historical accounts you know you read things about houdini that not so much um which i think is really interesting when people are like the greatest magician of the century and then you read yeah. people's accounts and really like eh. um <laughs> but but what's interesting is you know they're you know in terms of these you know kind of you know escape artist type of ideology and and you know this idea of of stuntmen and, and, um, and escapes, there's, there's a really just fascinating psychology going on there that captures the public imagination in such, such a kind of instinctual way of wanting to overcome physical limits, uh, that has always been with us and that both of them have had such an innate understanding for, um, and such a, also such a personality that's so conducive to explore. Yeah, most definitely. So where are you in this kind of your entry into this? Where did you say, Hey, I want to make my entrance yeah. into this or my name this? What was that for you? Yeah. So, um, I, when, uh, you know, I grew up doing pretty traditional, uh, magic performances through my childhood and, and early teens. And then, um, was performing in a show with a fellow magician um, who's a now friend and mentor um, named Arthur Trace, who's out in LA. And just like, you know, in kind of a nice moment, you know, started talking to me as just this random kid backstage, basically. And um, somehow started talking about how, you know, magic can be used to express other things and other ideas. And I was like, oh my God, you know, that's kind of what I've been looking for. And so that conversation really stuck with me. And then in my early teens, I got really interested in reading a lot of philosophy. And that was pretty much became my hobby. And so I was studying all this philosophy and was really drawn to both existentialism and um, aesthetics. And 
as I was reading a lot of the questions that philosophers were posing in terms of aesthetics and art, I realized that those core questions, many of them were the same as some of the questions that lie to the heart of magic in terms of, you know, what what makes a visual depiction what it is? You know, what makes us understand the color red as the color red? What makes us think that we know a piece of information or a piece of knowledge and and um, and these sorts of ideas? And I was like, God, these these are the same types of questions um, that are looked at in terms of art. There's sort of a natural intersection between magic and art. I don't really see anybody else looking at this. That's what I want to do. And so then I started kind of really thinking about, okay, if I were to take magic into the contemporary art world, what would that look like? What would that be? Um, And so that pretty quickly became my life project and trying to figure out how to bring magic in this, um, you know, this this art form, this this performance, this craft, um, into an art space, and how really just how to make that happen as a you know, and how to create a path for that. This is wild, actually. I've never associated magic with art and philosophy before yeah <laughs> like ever i'm not talking like it's not even like crossed my mind <laughs> yeah, well, you're, you're not alone you're <laughs> not alone um however i am i am happy to say i'm in good company um uh really with the magic and philosophy um side of it um sort of pretty sh- in in my mind pretty shortly after i got on this path of my own um and by shortly, I mean like maybe like three or four years later, um, ended up meeting um, uh, Dr. Lawrence Haas, who is a philosophy professor and writer and also a magician. And so he um, was also looking at a lot of these questions and then was looking at them through the lens of phenomenological philosophy, which is really as it pertains to kind of sensory perception. And I was like, oh, my gosh, like this is really it. This is now now, you know, now this is really, really speaks to me. So um, so thankfully, you know, having you know, been able to meet Larry and, and he and I became friends and having access to, you know, I got to even, um, audit some of his classes. Um, and, uh, and he started a conference, um, that was the, um, uh, Oh my gosh, I'm like gonna mess up the name right now. Um, Larry, when I send this to you, I'm sorry, um, but uh, <laughs> but it was the um, basically like the philosophy of magic um, conference, and so it was for philosophy scholars and magicians, and so it was this kind of small cohort of people from all over the world that would meet to talk about these ideas, and we, um, as luck, uh, luck for me, um, had it, um, another, this was in 2009, and, um, I actually had just written a paper, um, 
on Jean-Paul Sartre's uh, psychology of imagination and how that related to the experience of creating magic. And uh, they had a speaker for the conference who was not able to make it at the last second. And Larry was aware of my writing on this topic. And so I got to unexpectedly be a speaker at this conference, which was really terrifying given that I felt like I was one of the only (laughs) people who did not have a PhD. And I was like, 19 very intimidated um but yeah so there's there's great people there's um you know just just you know now there's been in the last couple of years you know sort of a a culture of people who have namely from academia who are interested in looking at how magicians are exploring magic um, and the really special approaches that it takes in terms of psychology and neuroscience and, um, you know, social behavior, um, all these sorts of things, and then how they can kind of take that and apply that to their own research. So there's, there's some really exciting things that's been happening in the last few years. Wow. I, I got all, all those things that you've lumped in together. I, I don't think that I've ever made space for that in my mind. And I feel like I should be because that sounds incredibly amazing. Yeah. I mean, like there's just, uh, I mean, I, I really, really revel in it, um, you know, as being somebody that's, you know, that's not in academia. Um, I kind of live vicariously through all of them being able to, you know, kind of have this, this, really robust uh research approach but it's it's just totally fascinating like the the two i'll call out are um another philosopher who's studying um magic and philosophy is jason laddington he has really fabulous work um he's out in antwerp um and then um my personal favorites um who are also dear friends um, are Stephen Macknick and Susanna Martinez Conde. Um, Stephen runs the um, Macknick Lab for Translational Neuroscience, um, and they are looking at uh, really getting into sort of the neural correlates um, of how how magic. Um, you know, if you're having having people hooked up to fMRIs and they're watching a magic effect, you know. For example, you know, when a ball vanishes, what is actually happening in the brain? What does that, and their their line of research is then, what does that teach us about vision? And how can we use that to understand sort of these anomalies within optics? So, um, yeah, so there's there's just so much cool stuff. It makes me think about research that's done in kind of these settings where, you know, large people gather and they experience this incredible sensation of like, um, they see, uh, let's say a football game or they see a concert and the wonder and the kind of, um, the simultaneous feeling of awe at something at the same time. Yeah. I think we feel like you get that in magic too. When you see magic done or an illusion and everybody in the audience or the people watching it, this level of disbelief or this awe, it feels similar to those things. Yeah. It's, it's so funny you say that because that's one of the big things that 
I have been sort of delving into researching myself um, is is actually uh, I just this morning had a friend who's a psychology researcher, uh, Tony Barnhart, who's awesome, um, put me in touch with a friend of his who's who's an awe researcher um, and um, for us to kind of connect on, you know, some of these ideas. So, yeah, yeah I mean, you're you're right, right on the money. <laughs> who knew i just it's just you know came off the top of my head you know about it. Yeah, yeah, no. <laughs> well i think it's this is a this is a philosophical discussion in a sense of so much of our past we have looked at things like magic is just magic or these kind of things that are out there on the fringe of uh almost sorcery in a sense mm-hmm. and then there's science and how could these things exist together I think we're right. sh- starting to study these mm-hmm. things together and go, these things belong together in some way. They explain each other. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I mean, obviously there's things that are really closely correlated, like ideas on the placebo effect, yes. um, you know, and and yeah, I mean, throughout time, and I'm the first person to say I'm not very knowledgeable on this, but um, there's you know, ideas about the relationship between magic and medicine, medicine historically, like shamanism, um, you know, and then how, how these ideas of this more like performative aspect of medicine, um, you know, comes, comes into that, um, which is just totally fascinating. Completely. So what has magic taught you throughout the course of your life, the lessons you've learned in it? Oh my gosh. Um I I don't know if anybody's ever asked me that question before. <laughs> um wow. You know, I, it's hard, right? Because it's like it's always the idea of you know, I think for anybody who's an artist, you're kind of ex- sometimes exploring the things that you yourself you know, either are looking for or are just deeply compelled by. So I think for me, um, I think I, I guess I'll take a take two approaches to this. Um, learned literally and more metaphorically. Um, you know, I think the the big thing is I because I've been doing this for so long, um you know, with with a bit of context here, you know, I have, I think, two memories of being alive before I started doing magic. So there's really no, I, I don't have any clear separation or clear understanding of my life or the world without having had being a magician constitute basically 100% of my identity. So I think that's probably why it's really hard for me to answer the question. Um, I think I think the thing um that's really sort of meaningful to me or that I always am am riveted by and that it's kind of at the core of my work is that I feel like there are so many really amazing things that are happening around us all the time that because of course of just how our brain is wired and you know the just general time pressure and things like that, we just can't pay attention to. Um, 
And I feel like it's kind of the job of magic and my job as a magician and an artist to kind of use this medium of magic to draw attention back to these really simple, you know, seemingly simple everyday processes. Like, for example, you know, I right now I'm, you know, sitting on the fourth story of a building recording this and I'm, you know, sitting on a stool. And the fact that, you know, with having (laughs) spent about two months this summer um, doing nothing but researching gravity, and I feel like I barely understand anything about it. Um, You know, the fact that the architectural support of the building is providing this force that's counteracting the gravitational force, which is I, which I didn't know until recently is relative that, you know, you're, uh, you know, where you are sitting is, has a, you know, ever so slightly different, you know, quote unquote, predicted gravity than where I'm sitting. Um, and, you know, and then, and then I'm in a chair that's supporting my body weight, my body is exerting a force, and my spine is able to hold me upright, you know, even just the the seemingly really simple act of me sitting in a stool um, in a building, any single piece of that is like mind bogglingly complex. Um, you know, so I feel like drawing attention back to some of these really basic everyday human functions, um, is, is what to me is most compelling. Um, and so I feel like that's one of the main things that I've learned both metaphorically and literally is, is just a very research heavy process. Um, so I personally learn a lot about, you know, kind of the science and psychology about the world around us. Um, and, you know, and I think that then translates into kind of these broader sense of learnings and, um, you know, and how then we relate to and understand the world around us. Certainly that's the case for me personally. Yeah, most definitely. I wonder also kind of an extension of that is um, how has magic influenced the relationships you have in your life? Yeah. um, Well, sort of similarly, because I've only really lived in this in this uh, world, aside from my family, every single relationship that I have has come about because of this, Um, because, you know, it's always been my job. It's been everything I've been, you know, eat, sleeping and breathing this. Um, I, I took New Year's Day off this year and Christmas Day off. But other than that, I have been working 365 days a year, every year for, the, I don't know, decades. Um, so yeah, every person I know is kind of associated because of that. And I think, I think because of me, I, you know, being, having kind of taken the path that I've taken in magic, in art, in philosophy, it's been what's allowed me to meet so many incredible people that have been people I never could have dreamed of meeting people like Stephen Macknick and Susanna Martinez Conde and like, you know, some of the best scientists in the world and really incredible, you know, philanthropists and amazing people um, that I feel so fortunate to have been, you know, to have met and to have learned from. Um, And, you know, speaking 
kind of separately, aside from that, um, from these sometimes more personal connections, magic is really interesting insofar as that I feel like it's one of few fields that's still really handed down from person to person and in books. And so there is still or at least certainly when I was growing up, still almost this kind of borderline apprenticeship sort of uh, situation. And, you know, so I had a great magic teacher when I was a a young child. Um, And then, you know, to this day have excellent mentors. And so I think having those relationships with people that have been so generous with their time and their expertise, you know, that's, that's always what makes all the difference. That's amazing. That's really awesome. I just, I love this whole line of thought about, you know, magic, magic as an expression of art and philosophy and, and, and maybe love and know these different aspects of yeah. life. And yeah. I want to, yeah, you know, it's like, you're like blowing my mind with this because I don't associate <laughs> these things together. I don't know. It's just like a, well, okay, there's a magic act or here's an illusion. And I don't think about the other deeper meanings of it, you know? Yeah. And I think that's why for me trying to do these performances that so squarely recontextualize that um, has been really important. And, you know, there's a um, there's one it's one of my favorite quotes. And I'm I'm not a quote person. I'm not a person to like cite quotes, but this is so beautiful. It's so it's so concise, um, which I clearly am not. So I have to cite this is um Max Maven, who is uh, the most prolific inventor of magic that has ever lived, um, especially sort of the mentalism side of magic, he um, has a great quote, which is this, the magicians of the 20th century created a great feat, uh, accomplished a great feat. They took something truly profound and rendered it trivial. And unfortunately, you know, that's at least certainly within my own personal experience, that's very much the case. Um, And, you know, I I hear it echoed in your sentiment as well of like, you know, this idea of like, okay, you know, I saw this thing, it was cool and great. And that's, that's really everybody, you know, like, and that's really, you know, that's me, that's me too. Although I'm always looking at things through a technical lens, but, you know, it's sort of, you know, like, for example, you know, magic, if you had said, um, you know, if this was 150 years ago and somebody said to you, oh, hey, who are you interviewing on the podcast today? And you said, oh, a magician, that would have carried the same cultural weight of prestige as if you'd said, uh, I'm interviewing somebody from the ballet or the opera. Um, Magic used to have you know, right, I mean, the highest of the high kind of levels in cultural hierarchy. Um, And namely because there was an immense amount of production value behind it. There was an immense amount of writing behind it. Magic used to be presented basically as short plays. Um, And so there there really was like incredible sets and costumes and well thought out narratives. And it wasn't, you know, what we saw now of this, like, Oh, Hey, is this your card? Cool. Now you owe me a beer and like, 
whatever, you know, <laughs> kind of very like this very like blase or I'm going to pull one over on you kind of thing. It was like really this theatrical mm. art form. And so, you know, so I think for me, it was going, okay, you know, what are the venues that I can showcase this in? What are the aesthetics I can, um, you know, use? Um, so like, you know, for example, um, you know, I did a piece for the Museum of Contemporary Chicago. They asked me to do something for the museum's 50th anniversary, sort of in direct response to one of the first large-scale works that had been done at um, at the museum, um, which was the 1969 piece by the artists Christo and John Claude, in which they took uh, over 10,000 square feet of fabric and wrapped the entire exterior of the museum in cloth. And so they wanted me to do something sort of in reflection um, or in response to that. And so I incidentally had been doing some reading and research on uh, some early kind of 1920s and 30s kind of parlor magic. And there's a really beautiful piece of magic um, that was very obscure that had been performed with a large piece of cloth. And so I spent about a year working on that. um, And it really kind of all came together with these ideas of things that were hidden and concealed and revealed and, you know, and things that were visible and invisible. And as part of it, um, the actual museum building, it had a number of uh, renovations that had just been completed as part of this sort of 50th anniversary. So my performance was going to be in one of the new spaces that was kind of harder to find. Um, and so it was like, okay, how do we have the public access these spaces um, that they don't know are there and are tricky to get to, um, you know, and kind of have these historical references. And so, um, so what people saw when they came to the museum that day was you would enter and, um, somebody really awesome and friendly would hand you a piece of paper and ask if you were interested in seeing the performance. And if you said yes, um, then you would be told that the paper you had was a map and to, to go and locate the performance. And you would open it up and it was totally a blank except for two words written kind of very small on the bottom that said locate roses. So people were like, all right. And there in the bottom uh, floor of the museum, um, we had installed um, a whole bunch of live sod and over 1,200 roses. So people would go um, and they would be handed a rose and told that this was basically their, almost kind of their key to unlock where a hidden performance was taking place. And then we're instructed to brush the rose petals across the piece of paper that they had. And when they did, it revealed a map that was printed in visible ink on the paper. And then that led them to this hidden performance space that was up some back stairwells. And then once they got there, I did about 20 minutes of... um, a performance that was repeated eight times throughout the day um, that was based on the scent of um, roses and soil, um, kind of wet 
sod-like soil. Um, and then um, kind of those scents that allowed members of the audience to actually perform pieces of magic and trying to really sort of subvert that narrative of the magician being sort of this um, all-powerful authoritative figure and trying to sort of um, democratize that process a little bit. Um, and then at the end, um, you know, told the story of the Christo and Jean-Claude piece, the museum, and then unraveled really long. It was about a 30-foot um, length of, of cloth um, that was held between two women as I stepped over to the side. Um, and as that fabric is unreal, un, unraveled, it kind of slowly revealed um, that it had been covering a single red rose in a, in a bud base. And I would walk over, snap the head off of the rose, and kind of crush all of the petals in my hand. And then uh, hand one of the women a pair of scissors. They would cut the piece of fabric, um, tie it back together. And then when they kind of stretched it back out between them, the fabric is magically restored. And then they would look back at the rose, and the rose had actually grown back. Um, and so that, that sort of, a gives, hopefully gives listeners a bit of a feel for, yeah. um, for like the type of work that I do and the vibe and kind of how it brings together, hopefully, or, or my aim to bring together, you know, these ideas of these natural processes also with hopefully some really, really different, um, aesthetics. Yeah, no, I, I got the visual, uh, I was thinking about it, kind of closed my eyes and um, as I was doing that too, I wondered if um, I think like any great artist or anybody who's, a, who's very artistic, maybe there is a piece of work that they strive to accomplish is kind of their, the zenith of their powers, if you will. Mm -hmm. Is there anything like that you're aspiring to? Wow. Um, you know, it's, it's been a long standing dream to have, you know, solo exhibition at um, the Museum of Modern Art in New York um, and or the Guggenheim um, that I would love um, in terms of the content of work. I've always been really interested in, um, or not always, but, but probably in the last 10 years, been interested in ideas kind of large scale in terms of architecture. Um, so I feel like there's something there that I'd kind of like to do. Um, and more recently have been on the, on the flip side of that have been just really wanting to use my work to do good in the world. And I'm still figuring out exactly what that looks like, um, in terms of outreach, um, and, you know, I'm spinning around some ideas, um, but really want to figure out, okay, how, how do I reach people and kind of use the skill set in my network and how do I do that best? So if anybody has any ideas or anything you want to collaborate <laughs> on, uh, hit me up. I think it has, it's going to be a deep conversation because what you're doing is so, uh, there's magic in what you're doing and combining all of these forms of art together. And creating like very, yeah, and creating so much meaning uh, of existence and 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 how you're moving through life. I think I, I always get the visual sometimes, you know, I think that that quote is very smart because 
a lot of times we've we've dumbed down magic to like, hey, come to a kid's party and do some magic right. tricks and stuff. You know, it's just like whatever, you know, or a couple of things. Whereas right. there's a deeper sense of being a human through magic, it feels like. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think like the idea, you know, I think historically is kind of magic representing the human condition um, and aspects of the human condition. And so that, you know, that idea of this sort of trivialization, you know, it, it's really cool in terms of, you know, things being, uh, you know, a, a puzzle that's like really fascinating. Um, but in terms of this expression of, you know, what does it mean to know something? What does it mean to, you know, understand the world around us or connect with nature or different ideas like that. Um, you know, this is what myth magic historically has kind of been used for. So, um, or, or has been thought to kind of evoke. So, um, so yeah, I'm right there with you. And, and interestingly, um, you know, my understanding um, you know, again, I'm not a magic historian because there are people who are dedicated magic historians. So I'm the first person to Oh, it's amazing. Um, uh, so I, I will absolutely say I'm not one of them. That's not my full-time job. But, um, you know, from having done a lot more research on this than the average person, um, you know, the, you know, the idea of the birthday party magician is really new. Like, this is like borderline, not within our lifetimes, but borderline within like my grandmother's lifetime. Um, my understanding of the, the birth of the birthday party magician um, is that we had vaudeville and then along when then we had, you know, kind of the rise of movies, um, which coincided with the fall of vaudeville and then the Great Depression. And then basically, so now you had this this extreme quantity of performers who were out of work and looking for ways to make money. And so um, my, that is my understanding of where the birthday party magician was born. So if we look at that, you know, I mean, that's less than 100 years ago. And that for most people they still today, most people will never see a live magic performance. And odds are, if you do, that is what you will see. Um, so it's just really interesting to think that most people's sort of cultural touchstone for this is something that is fundamentally pretty new. I, and that's always something that to me, I'm just like, whoa, this is, it, it's just really trippy to think about. Yeah. Yeah, it's, I don't know, it's just, we have these preconceived notions, I think, about magic yep. growing up and stuff. But it was funny for me when I was living in Vegas, I was exposed to it a lot. Oh, I'm so, sure. You know, so you're like seeing magicians all the time near the strip and stuff. And it's like, what? Mm -hmm. This is like, it's weird, this, this, this weird convergence of like musicians, magicians, comedians, uh -huh. all these artists, all in these different huge hotels. This yeah. is very like overwhelming because it's it's not normal you know to no. see, it's just really not you know it's like oh wow there there you go billboard all these people right. you know and it's like it's incredible uh it actually makes me think of this whole thing i remember thinking when you were coming on the podcast i was like i wonder if jeanette's seen that movie the prestige i think it's called i like, have yeah that movie 
easy as hell, man. I mean, <laughs> yes. <laughs> I mean, I was I, like, I'm not getting this. And then once I figured out at the end what it was, I was like, oh, what? Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, no. I, I gotta say, the in my personal opinion, the best part of that movie is David Bowie as Nikola Tesla. Isn't that amazing? Oh, you can't. I mean, I I was a like nerd Nikola Tesla fan as yes. a teenager, and then and then it like in my early twenties became a David Bowie fan, and I was like, "What? This is perfection!" So yeah, yeah. Well, you know what was really like that just bugged me out, like was crazy about it is like this whole intersection of magic and Tesla. Oh, and yeah. like that whole, when they went to the, in Denver or wherever they were in Colorado, mm-hmm. yeah. and it was like almost this, this haunting figure of Tesla and electricity mm-hmm. and magic and the machine. And you're like, and I remember thinking, where is this going? Like, right. what, what is this? And, and if you have, it's not a new movie, but like, if you haven't seen it, you got to see it because the ending is so like, it just blew my mind. I'm like, wait a minute, Hugh Jackman did what? Yeah. <laughs> like, like, wait a minute that's what that was about mind blow <laughs> like, yes yeah no i totally agree and like you know it's it's interesting because there's um you know there's the there's the arthur uh, oh my gosh i'm about to quote something again what is going you're, you're on quote, you're more of a quoter um, than you think you are <laughs> i guess so yeah um uh it was like there's the arthur clark quote that's no um any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic and you know that's like you know that movie makes such a case for that and i think you know i mean certainly like you know i'm i'm sitting here right now and, you know, see, it, it's kind of circling back to what we were talking about before, like with gravity, where it's like, you know, I have my iPhone sitting right here. That's magic. Like, I don't understand yeah. how this thing works. Like, you know, it's this tiny computer. <laughs> yeah, right. The guys who make it. I don't know. Yeah. Um, and like, you know, I mean, like, that's magic. And, you know, there's in magicians have had historically a pretty interesting relationship with the tech world and that like sometimes magicians have been using tech long in advance of when it's become public knowledge um like that was kind of the case with hydraulics um like early hydraulics and air pressure and things like that so there's been some really um just trippy stuff like that i think a lot of times because of a lot of people or some people within the magic field, you know, having relationships with scientists and mathematicians and people where we are interested in the same things, but coming at it from totally different angles. Um, so it's, it, it, but yeah, those, those intersections with tech are just wildly fascinating to me. You're right. Because if you, if you were able to travel back and you showed somebody an iPhone like 200 oh years my ago, gosh. they'd be like, sorcery, magic, devil, oh, you know, I'm like, completely. what is that? You know, yeah. it's, you know, maybe a lot of times our imagination and these things we're doing that seem so supernatural, it's like, we just have to catch up to understanding what it is at some yeah. point, you know, and that's kind of the whole thing. I know this is kind of a deep end thing, but it's kind of like, it's kind of the whole thing about like, extraterrestrial life and stuff like that would you even know what it looked like would you know it would seem magical in many ways 
may be to have something that crossed the ocean of stars and you understand the technology and all this stuff. And sometimes you don't know what you're actually looking at. And it seems so well, fantastic. That, that, that's why I'm so interested in looking at a lot of science. It's like, you know, there's, for me as a non-scientist, you know, but, but somebody who's fundamentally very interested in a lot of it is so counterintuitive yeah. and at least to me, um, you know, and, you know, when I look at things, you know, like a lot of physics and try to understand some of this, it's like, okay, I think I understand this. Or you get into weird stuff like magnetics. Like my understanding is that nobody understands how magnets really work. Um, huh. yeah. Like, I mean, it's like, it's like, we are, are I, I let me clarify why they work um mm. like you can really get into like like they understand the physics of of how magnets work very well but it's like but but why is this really working this way we still really don't know um so like that kind of stuff that again it's like this is all like what we've played with as kids like throwing up magnets on the fridge but it's like but what is what is this really like this is incredibly strange when you really yeah. and like and i'm sure like you know and again like visualizing these things like the magnetic field like kind of circling back to what you're saying like what you know we we know what this kind of looks like but like what what is this? you know I, I don't know it's kind of that same yeah. idea of like but what is this really i don't know I mean, think of like most people don't know how a lot of things work that they use often. Like you flip on a light switch. I mean, listen, if you ask the average person, how does, how does your, you get light in your house? How, when you flip oh, I that switch, know. I have no clue. I, I have literally no clue have either. no clue. And yeah. I don't think a lot of people do, honestly, unless they're like well-versed in that, like an electrician or something like you're just like, oh, it turns on for me. That's cool. I mean, I want it to turn on for me. You know? Oh, right. And it's, you know, and 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 I am right there with you that it's like, you know, 99% of what goes on in the world around me. I don't know how any of this yeah, happens. Work, you know, I'm thinking like, think about the magic in a sense of you, you have a picture. I take a picture of something. How does that even happen? And then you send it to somebody and then boop, they get it on their phone across the other side of the, you know, the United States. How does that happen? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> like, yeah. I have no idea, you it's know. Magical like that it would transmit that. I don't that's so that's some like and I wonder too, like, are you ever like you watch other people who are illusionists or magicians, you're like, how do they do that? Like what? What is that? Thankfully, yes. Um I you know, it's funny because I had um you know, <laughs> having done this for so long, I would get into a place where like genuinely like the vast majority of time when i see stuff unfortunately yeah i know what's going on um but uh i i had kind of a a really fabulous experience uh in february of this past year um so february of 2019 um that uh that is one of the, one of these experiences that made me totally just fall in love again with what I do, which was that I got to perform in a whole bunch of shows with um, what I would argue is one of the best magic shows 
that has ever occurred. Uh, so I was so honored to be a part of it um, called Speakeasy Magic, which uh, is an off-Broadway show in New York. And it's put together by Todd Robbins, who's an incredible person, and um, held at the quote-unquote McKittrick Hotel, which is a fictitious hotel in New York that also hosts Sleep No More, um, which is a really iconic um, performance. And so I was just floored to be a part of any of this. But um, but there are a number of magicians who perform there. These guys are just like the best close-up magicians I have ever seen. And I could just watch them all day. And, uh, you know, and they, I have seen them do stuff where I'm like, I have no idea. I have no idea. And that's great. And like, it's, and I live for those moments because it makes me go, this is why I do what I do. Yeah. Like that sort of experience of that feeling of being like, whoa, you know, like, you know, it's, it's such a singular kind of emotion. Um, and to be able to watch people who are so incredibly gifted um, and so smart and so talented, it's just so great, um, you know, to, to see that. So thankfully, yes. That's amazing. Well, I, I have to tell you, this was even better than I thought it was going to be chatting. Oh, good. <laughs> you blew my expectations out of the water. And, uh, you know, I never do um, video uh, podcasts. My thing's all audio. I wish that uh, mm-hmm. audience could see you doing something. Oh. It'd be amazing. But uh, I wonder if the, how can people um, get in touch with you or just see what your work you're doing, yeah. maybe little clips of it, things of that nature. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, so I've got, uh, some little like clips and demo reels and stuff like that and teasers, um, of performances. Um, now I'm, have even kind of broadened my, um, artistic practice, um, in the past year to interestingly having gotten into doing, um, audio art. Um, I recently, uh, finished a citywide commission for the Museum of Contemporary Art Chicago um, of a piece of audio art called Invisible Museums of the Unseen. So if you are listening to this in the Chicago area, um, basically um, in before May of 2021, um, you can uh, hop over to my website or the MCA Chicago website and uh, access access that. Um, but um, but yeah, people, I have a bunch of stuff on my website. And in terms of social media, I'm definitely most active on Instagram. So uh, my website is JeanetteAndrews.com. Um, and then my uh, my social media, uh, my Instagram handle is at JeanetteAndrewsMagic. Perfect. Uh, that's really awesome. Jeanette, it's been... A true pleasure. And, it's been uh, real. No, I'm kidding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed it. I try to ask some oh interesting my God. questions. You know. Yes, yes. No, this was so fantastic. Thank you so much for having me on. Um, yeah, killer, killer questions. Thank you so much for such an amazing yes. conversation. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. Well, listen, uh, we will definitely be in touch. And I look forward to have people uh, hear this. Thank you. Thanks so much. And thanks everybody for listening. Thank you for listening to this episode of Dr. D's Social Network. Make sure you listen to future episodes. Also, please make sure to rate and review My Dad's Show on Apple Podcasts in the rate and review section. Thanks, everyone. You made it. Checked out of office to check into the sweet views of 
This place where the kids aren't asking for the Wi-Fi. Mom, can we go to the pool? And when you're with Amex, it's not if it's going to happen, but when. American Express. Don't live life without it. Any workout, any mood, any time. That's what the Peloton Tread is all about. From interval runs that motivate you to go the extra mile, power walks that work up a sweat, rolling hill hikes for you to enjoy, and full body boot camps to hit your goals. Plus thousands of workouts that go beyond the tread. Strength programs, core classes, yoga, Pilates, and even boxing. Everything you need on and off the Peloton tread. Experience it all for yourself with a 30-day home trial. Learn more at OnePeloton.com.